2: Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, I'm thrilled to talk to my friend. It's been way too long. I told him it'd been too long. And he gave me the day and the date. And now I feel even worse about it. So I'm sorry, buddy, but I'm glad to have you back. Uh, our good friend Gabriel Salazar saying, How are
3: you, sir? Thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, I was one time before. It was April of last year, but so I'm did, so very excited. You just, to. So you just go and call me out like that, but no, we're going <laughs> to keep
2: you on the regular rotation. You're good people. I appreciate you. All right, my friend, one thing we've done with you and you've been on the program before, uh, you hoblah. I do not. You keep track of things that are going on that sometimes m- miss our viewpoint because, let's be honest, the American media is pretty American-centric and we take about two or three lanes and neglect a lot of things, but there's been a lot of stuff going on in the Spanish-speaking world, Latin America, South America. We want to cover a couple of them. Let's start with some crossover, though. Um Very interesting topic. Uh, Alexandria Osasio-Cortez, of course, the um, Democratic representative from up in New York City, squad member, famously known as, she went with a delegation into South America. They went, met with several leaders of Latin America. They met with leaders out of Brazil, Chile, Colombia, um, countries that are nominally allies that we have pretty good relations with. It was really interesting. This didn't get a lot of coverage here. Of course, there's a lot of the Trump stuff kind of buried it, but it got covered two different ways. The progressive folks really, really hammered this as a great thing. Right wing media, which of course obsesses over AOC, they just the way she went on a socialist tour. I assume the truth is probably somewhere in the middle a little bit, but what was this actual trip from the South American point of view? Because Brazil is a major country and a major ally. Chile is a country kind of in transition, but long been an ally. Colombia is a country with a lot of issues bubbling, but seems to be kind of weathering the storm, but they do have some crises. These are important countries, important allies, and this is a member of our government going down there.
3: What's the truth of this? What was this trip really like? So it's interesting you say that it wasn't really covered in American media because it wasn't covered in Latin media as well. It was a very, it, it was a topic that was buried underneath other news. Um, I believe even the Trump, the whole ordeal with Mr. Donald Trump is a bigger news uh, here in, in Latin America than it was the, the visit, than the visit of AOC was for us. Um, as you mentioned, she visited Brazil, Colombia, Chile, and these three countries have a very interesting common ground. They, the three of them, have are, are led their presidents are are recently elected and they are part of a pink wave that recently shook the region and what do you
2: mean by pink wave break that break that down for folks a little bit because we 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 obsess a little bit about red wave and blue wave here which is republican democrat these terms mean different things over there they mean different things for socialist folks free market folks break down what a pink wave is and how that's used down there because it is a little bit different
3: yeah, so perhaps we could dive into the, the context of what each leader represents and why they are part of this pink wave. Starting with Brazil, uh, Lula da Silva, the Brazilian president, um, is the embodiment of what Ortega y Gasset, Spanish author Ortega y Gasset, once said that I am me and my circumstances, and if I don't save them, I don't save myself. Uh, this essentially uh, represents, or, or, is the, the, or Lula is the embodiment of this phrase, because once you get to see his life, his biography, you start to understand why he was swayed by left-wing politics. He was uninterested in in politics when young. He didn't get involved into it until he was a part of a workers' union. His brother was a communist. He lost his finger in a work accident when he was a a blue-collar worker. And so he got introduced into politics through this left-wing Influence. Um Personally, I am no fan of Lula. Um, when he was president, there was prosperity in the country. But once his vice president took over, she succeeded him directly, and um, the country was in, in a financial, in a tricky financial financial situation. It's very funny to me that, um, or very interesting that. Once the delegation got there to Brazil, Lula Rasil, but didn't make uh, time to meet with them. He was very uninterested. It's very surprising from one part because I couldn't imagine a president sitting down and thinking I'm not gonna receive them. This had to be a deliberate choice. It's a very, they are very prominent members of Congress in the in perhaps the country that has the most influence, not only in the world, but a special influence in Latin America. But I was also very unsurprised because Lula da Silva, in itself, in himself, is a very is a, is a person that only critiques anti-democratic practices when it's others that are partaking in it. For example, he was elected in the second round of Brazilian uh, elections in the runoff against pre- incumbent President Bolsonaro. He attacked his attacks against democracy. Bolsonaro was a very authoritarian figure. We know that he was on the right side of the spectrum. But once in power, he calls Maduro, or says that what Maduro, the critiques against Maduro and his practices against human rights are just a constructive narrative by the press, which we know isn't true. Maduro is a genocidal dictator, and by all accounts shouldn't be defended by anyone that, that likes democracy.
2: And, of course, in the midst of the Brazil stuff, it's interesting you bring up Bolisario. There was the changeover that brought Luna back to power. Um, It does seem like it's settled down a little bit in the grand scheme of things. But just before we get into the AOC visit, though, is Brazil stable now? They're still having a little bit of economic trouble. They still haven't really figured out. There's always been the inner Amazon versus the other parts of the country. That dynamic's always there but is it a little more stable now, even with Luna and whatever you think of his politics, has it at least settled down a little bit?
3: Look, Bolsonaro was a mess. No matter what part of the spectrum you're from, you have to recognize that Bolsonaro was a bad leader. He didn't know how to manage the COVID pandemic. He didn't, um, he he, once in power and and when he was a candidate, he attacked minorities vehemently, African or people of African uh, descent, women, um, he was he wasn't generous at all. He said some pretty hostile stuff. Once in power, the re- rhetoric didn't change. Uh, when he was during during the elections as incumbent president, he he regularly regularly threatened to alter the democratic process, such as involving the military, which of course is uh, one of the worst things you can do if you're an incumbent president facing re-election. When Lula da Silva uh, took power, Bolsonaro had lost. There was an attempt by some of his followers to replicate what uh, what happened in the United States in January 6 of 2021. Exactly one year later, in January 8 of 2022, uh, the what most of his followers were sorry, not most of his followers. Some of his followers were attempting to replicate the same same thing, which paints a a, a worrying panorama for what democracy means in Brazil. Um, polarization is definitely an issue that has been has been stabilized a little bit. We know that in 2019, there was a poll that said that people in Brazil uh, had lost or were more indifferent towards democracy than they were before. It's stabilized a little bit, but Bolsonaro is doubting the idea of running again for president in the next elections which I believe will will polarize the country again.
2: Yeah, she part of this trip was also Chile. while the AOC delegation was there and there was others there. Um, but kind of an interesting tidbit of history that probably most people didn't know. And honestly, I was a little aware of it, but I had to go look it up. She started to call for clarity on the 1970s revolution and the coup in Chile, which is one of the recent history important events in that country was the U.S. involved Look, we know the U.S. and the CIA and all that. There's a lot of conspiracy theories, but we did have heavy involvement in South America for decades and decades for a lot of reasons. Not only anti-communist stuff, we also know drug interdiction stuff. We'll get to Ecuador in a minute. That's how we got involved there. Does this stuff matter to people in, like, Chile? Is there a relationship with the U.S. and Chile that needs to be repaired? or is this just something that kind of got thrown out of the playbook of, oh, this is something the
3: Americans did that wasn't good in the past? Look, Chile is a country that during the last elections and for most of its history, even the democratic part of its history, has been haunted by the ghost of the Pinochet dictatorship. The country was polarized during the last elections. The runoff was between Gabriel Boric Boric, and José Antonio Cast, the latter represented a new left wing in the country, and the for, uh, sorry the former represented uh, a new era of left wing in the country. He was a young leader. He's 37 years old now. Uh, he was very inexperienced to have the to hold the office of the presidency in Chile. His only experience was being president of the student government at his university and then being a senator for a little while, which to me isn't very much to, or or, or experience that that justifies him being in the presidency. Of course, people wanted a new face and they were were worried by the other candidate, Jose Antonio Cast, who represented a much more traditional view of the country. He was a conservative, but he was also a very polemic candidate. He wasn't, a Trumpian-like candidate, like some people portray him. He had a more gentle demeanor. He spoke more clearly and vehemently. But some of his remarks were what made him a very worrying candidate for democracy. He once said in a radio interview that if Pinochet was alive, that he would vote, that Pinochet would vote for him, which of course, I don't think it's a very smart thing to say if you want people to know that democratic institutions will be safe under you, his inexperience, Boric's inexperience, once in power, uh, has translated into a grand incompetence to be able to do the things he wanted to do. For example, most of his agenda uh, was was dependent on a fiscal reform that he he needed it to pass so that he could on un- so he could. Carry most of his agenda, and he didn't get enough votes. And it wasn't because of the opposition; it was mostly because some of the leaders uh, or the or the votes he needed didn't weren't even present that day to vote for for the fiscal reform in Congress, which of course is a very rookie mistake. Um, yes, yeah, and then the
2: other country they went to uh colombia it's interesting just two years ago during the covid lockdown there was a really bad crackdown by the government in that country aoc along with just about everybody else condemned that now they went down there as recently as last week there was a hostage situation where police and oil field workers were taken there's still protest problems in colombia what's going on in colombia that folks need to pay attention to in the headlines because again here's a country covid was an issue, but it just revealed issues that was already there. And it seems like they still haven't quite got a handle on some of the things. What's going on in Colombia that we need to know about?
3: Yes. And I apologize. I, I'm now realizing that the last question you asked me I didn't answer it completely. So I'll try to answer both of them at the No, uh, you're right fine. Uh, you know, long before September eleven in of two thousand one, there was September eleven of nineteen seventy three in Chile it was when when democratically elected marxist president salvador allende was faced a coup d'etat by augusto pinochet now salvador allende despite being democratically elected was pushing towards something that looked or resembled or, or or now when we look at it in in a 2020 hindsight we can start to see some patterns that evidence that perhaps he was looking to install a, a dictatorship himself. You know, he gave more power to the military. He, he did other, other actions that were, and private records have shown that 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 by all intentions, it seemed that Salvador Allende was gonna be a dictator himself. And alarmed by that, the military made a coup d'etat against him, and then came another dictator, Augusto Pinochet, both from very different part of the spectrums, of course, Augusto Pinochet was a a free market dictator, uh, advised by the Chicago boys themselves. Milton Friedman uh, was one of the advisors involved in, in Augusto Pinochet's economic reforms. Salvador Allende on the other hand was the first democratically elected Marxist leader, perhaps of the world. So when that happened, Augusto Pinochet took power. He remained until the 1990s. Uh, There was economic reforms that have shaped the country up until now. But um, while some look towards the past with nostalgia for what was the economic reforms that essentially made Chile the the most developed country, perhaps the most developed country in Latin America. Others recognize that he was a threat to democracy by all accounts, not a threat. He killed democracy in Chile. He he killed people who were shown to be uh, dissidents against the government. You know, th- um, free speech was heavily restricted. So Augusto Pinochet, Nor Salvador Allende, uh, they are very different figures who are shaping Chilean politics until now. You ask one portion of the country, the one more sympathetic to a left wing and what Salvador Agenda represented, perhaps they even feel um, sympathy towards him and the death that was caused by his death that was caused by the coup d'etat. Uh, and they will say that that releasing the records is a very important subject. It's for democracy in itself. You ask the people who are more sympathetic to Augusto Pinochet, and they will say that, that no, that it's a, not a necessary issue. Now, moving on to Colombia. You've mentioned that it has been a... Colombia has faced a, a rocky years. You know, it's a country that has been shaped by, by what, what, what was essentially a civil war. Guerrilla warfare was big in the country. And President Duque... Pardon, sorry, uh, President Petro uh, was, um, was a guerrilla fighter himself you know, that tells you a little bit, or that indicates you, that he isn't very irrespective of democratic norms. He was a guerrilla fighter involved with a left-wing movement. Um, Us in Costa Rica know, through our very nice experience without a military, that war isn't the way, that there's a peaceful uh, process to be respected, and above all, that democracy is a value to be upheld. Um, Once into power, Petro hasn't respected democracy. He has attacked parts of the civ- of civil society that disagree with him. Um, businesses, entrepreneurs, Congress, even the fiscal general have been attacked by him. The fiscal the fiscal general, the general fiscal of the country even called um, Petro a dictator because Petro on Twitter once said that since he is president of the country, he's also the boss of the fiscal general. Those of us who know how understa- uh, democratic norms work, know that that's a very worrying attack towards democracy in itself.
2: Yeah, Gabriel Salazar Singh joining us. Um, let's go to Ecuador for a minute because we've been covering that country, really disturbing stuff. It wasn't that long ago, within the last decade, Ecuador was kind of one of the models in South America. They had a booming tourist economy. It was a big expat destination. They they were using the U.S. dollar, so a lot of Americans were going down there and doing business, having second homes, retirees, things like that. It's kind of all gone sideways They've had a disastrous presidency. Then they had uh, a lot of economic problems. They had the earthquake about seven, eight years ago that did a lot of damage. Now they're having a very, very volatile election. Violence is up. The economy's down. We covered on our show, the Maramonto, one of the coastal cities where the expats really love was actually really murdered. And then not a couple of days later, or about a week later, one of the presidential candidates was murdered. Um, This is just all kinds of bad. The presidential candidate, Fernando Villaviscio, or Villaviscio, I'm probably saying that wrong. You'll say it better than I do. He wasn't going to win anyway, but this is somebody that was really well-known in the country. He'd been a journalist. He'd been a politician. He'd been an agitator for a lot of his causes. He'd actually left the country for several years because he'd been threatened before with death threats. He came back for this election, and then he was assassinated now it's going to a runoff and stuff but this is about as unstable as a country can get without a full-blown open conflict what's going on in ecuador and why should we be paying attention to it
3: look fernando villavicencio was a fighter towards the right cause being objective uh politics aside i think that fernando is uh, a martyr right now for the right cause which is democracy um out of all the candidates in the race, I think that he was the one that represented democratic norms the best. Um, he was vehement when criticizing Rafael Correa. Rafael Correa, to give you some context, was president before before Guillermo Lasso and Lenin Moreno. Lenin Moreno was Rafael Correa's president, and he shaped a lot of what. Perhaps he's the 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 person who's shaped the most. Out of in uh, inequalities, politics over the last several years in the new millennium, Rafael Correa was was a very controversial president because he himself didn't respect democratic norms. He eliminated the the rights to be or, or term limits. He eliminated them. He was a socialist leader, putting taxes. You know, on wealth, attacking the wealthy um he was later succeeded by lenin moreno who was a very disastrous president he was the one responsible for for the beginning of covid-19 vaccine rollouts weren't weren't happening in the country there weren't t- um necessar- necessary measures to contain the virus weren't being taken and thus guillermo lazo the main opposition candidate took power personally i was I had high hopes for Guillermo Lasso. Guillermo Lasso was uh, a more libertarian candidate, especially in the Ecuadorian context. He was an, an, intra- an entrepreneur. Um, he was an outsider, a fresh face. As a matter of fact, he was one of the, or perhaps the, the most important figure back in the 90s who, who, who pushed towards the of the country that essentially saved the country, because it was a very perilous situation what they were facing. But his presidency was very disastrous as well. Correa, who is in exile right now in Belgium, um, still has a very tight grip over the left wing of the country, and the left wing of the country explicitly listens to what he says. And so those who who are very near to to Rafael Correa and the, and his ideas, El Correismo, or uh, didn't let Guillermo Lasso govern. Guillermo Lasso didn't have a a majority in Congress, which ultimately affected him. Um, those who controlled Congress, Correa's allies, were constantly, constantly trying to get him out of power. Of course, the Congress can un- unseat a sitting president out of power if they deem so. The votes didn't go through. But once there was a new attempt that was most that was really likely to go through, and Guillermo Lasso was about to, to get out of Congress, Guillermo Lasso did a double crossed death, which essentially means that there were gonna be new elections. The Congress was gonna be dissolved. There was gonna be new elections for Congress, but the president had to face new elections as well. Guillermo Lasso didn't opt towards running again. Now, we get to the context of the present elections. Fernando Villavicencio was perhaps the, the, the leading candidate of, against Correismo and left-wing politics. He constantly criticized uh, Rafael Correa's ties with the narcos, with the narco traffic in the country. And what happened was that he was killed there were very mysterious circumstances t- towards his death. For example, once um, the hitman who killed Fernando was, was detained and he was in a safe place, it's supposed to be a safe place, he was killed. The hitman was killed, which sets, sets it up for, for a very interesting and mysterious and wearing panorama for the country. As I was talking with you earlier, this is not the first politician in the last couple of months that has been killed. The mayor of Manta was killed. There was a legislative candidate that was killed as well. And so the last days, perhaps even the last week uh, of the elections in which this happened, um, were were shaped by the by the assassination of Fernando. Um, he was eventually uh, his 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 candidacy was taken over by Chris, Christian Zurita, another uh, another uh, another journalist, and he ended up finishing in third place, above what the polls constantly showed Fernando that said that he was in fourth place. Second place was a surprise for the for the entire country. Noah was elected uh, for the or, or was second place and is heading to the runoff against the main uh, ma- against Correa's main candidate you are the mathematics up and it's very likely that Novoa will end up being the next president of the country because you know third place was Cristian Zurita Fernando Villavicencio's replacement his share of the voters are most likely completely apathetic towards Correa and his allies so it will translate in a majority towards Noah, and fourth place as well Jan Topic uh, gave his his endorsement to to second place Noah, which it's a very interesting scenario to be facing right now and it's a worrying scenario you know it's a sad sight to see that for the votings for the elections Fernando Villavicencio's mother had to be escorted by the military she had to be wearing a helmet and an anti-bullet, uh, proof vest. It's and she's a very brave woman. I think that Fernando gets his stuff or, or got his toughness from her. She was able to to give comforting words towards democracy. She said that, es- essentially, she she let the the ones responsible for killing him that she wouldn't back down, her family wouldn't back down, and that Fernando's ideas and respect for democracy and liberty had to live on. She's a very admirable woman. There's no denying that. Even Cristian Zurita taking his, his, his Fernando's place in the candidacy is a very brave thing to do. You know, if someone was killed and then you have to take over his place, I'm betting that not a lot of people would be able to take the, um, the responsibility. Nobody would be willing to risk uh, their life as Cristian Zurita did which is very, it's a very admirable thing to do.
2: Gabriel Salazar Singh joining us. It's interesting. You already referred to this interesting constitutional mechanism that got us here, the the muerte cruzada, or however you say it, the mutually assured death where they dissolve the parliament, but the president has to stand for election at the same time. So this is only going to be a year and a half, and they're going to do this all over again. So whoever wins this thing, they're going to turn right around and have to do this again. Is there any hope for stability here, or is this just going to be kind of a cycle of bad in Ecuador for the foreseeable future?
3: Look, um, Correa is, this might be some strong words, but Correa is a very despicable figure. He's in exile right now in Belgium. He's running against the law, and he's still managing politics, being a, a puppet master for left wing, the left-wing in Ecuador, because since he's facing a perilous situation, since he isn't president anymore, he doesn't care about the country going to ruin and two presidents or three presidents failing after him. This is the thing with dictators. This is a problem with dictators and populists. They thrive on their drama. They love drama because it's what feeds them and makes them such a popular figure. When they create the drama, they have a response for that drama that makes them popular against the uh, the public eye. It wouldn't surprise me if, for the next presidency, the one who takes over Guillermo Lasso, um, will if he will face a, a a difficult panorama. If Correa will end up doing the same thing, um, opposing everything he doeses, he does. Um, perhaps even calling for for the president's removal. Both of the candidates, this is this is. Uh, it's safe to say that both of the candidates right now in the runoff are ideologically similar to Correa. I mean, I don't know. Perhaps if Noboa wins, the anti-Correa candidate, perhaps Rafael Correa will find an opportunity to. To, to become an ally of him and become one of his supporters if Correa thinks that under the public eye that will benefit him. And if, Maine, uh, and if Correismo wins once again in Ecuador, I think that we can expect, of course, Correa to be quiet unless she does a bad job. Because if she does a bad job and the public perception is against her, then Rafael Correa will also be the, the first one to oppose her. So it really depends on the on on what happens with the presidency. Um, but it's a, a very worrying topic that Rafael Correa, even in exile, doesn't care about the country and the influence he has. He's using it for worse.
2: Yeah, Gabriel Salazar Singh joining us. A lot of lessons there on why we need to be very mindful and careful of our own democratic institutions and norms here, because these are universal principles. People want power. People want to do bad things, and good people need to stop them. I appreciate your insight on this. Great to have you back. It'll be a lot sooner than last time, I promise. We won't go in a year and a half again, my friend. But until we get you back on Hurtell, let folks know where they can follow you and what you got going on until we get you back again, my friend.
3: They can f- find me on Twitter at Gabriel Salah Singh. But there's a warning. They will find a lot of soccer. Uh, so if you don't like soccer, uh, then perhaps following me might not be the best choice. But I will, have a, I will be voicing my opinion on politics. Look, I, I'm not very interested in, in working in politics in the, in the future, not even the near future. But I think that it's a responsibility for all of us to speak up for what we think is right. And if I can speak up for democracy, not in not only in my country, which I, I'm very grateful to be born in Costa Rica and have a enormous and and very beautiful democratic system, but in the region as well, even the world, then I will do so because I think that everyone has the right to be free.
2: Yeah. Um, Costa Rica is a wonderful country. One of my buddies from high school that I grew up with since sixth grade, he lives in Costa Rica, married a Costa Rica girl. So it's a wonderful country that people keep telling me I need to go visit. I would love to get it in one of these times. We'll do some food sometime. Y'all don't have waffle houses there, though. We'll have to work that out. Uh, Gabriel Salazar Singh, we will have you back soon, my friend. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you for having me. It's an honor.
2: Yes, sir. <laughs> All the music on Her Tell is provided under a Creative Content License from MonsterCat.com.
0: Folks, if you've listened to the Her Tell program, you've heard our
2: friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from DC and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to The District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, Head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast, working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. They got over a hundred episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan Yes, I know it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.